So yesterday was colonoscopy day, and uh, that was a lot of fun. That's why there's no show. And, um, yeah, you got to get it. You got to get one. And uh, this was a follow-up one, and you got to wait for results and everything. But uh, I'll tell you one thing without getting you into the boring details of health issues. I um, I get the call the day before. And they say, ooh, my appointment was at 2.30. So that means you had to be in at one thirty, and you had to stop eating the day before. So I was just eating. The only thing I had to eat was two uh, Italian ices, two lemon Italian ices, because you can't eat anything red or well, you can't eat any good flavors. You can't even eat green. All you can eat is yellow and clear. And that's all you can drink is yellow and clear. So I had a little bit of grape juice, a bunch of that poison they give you to rotorooter you out, and uh, a couple of Italian ices. And I, I couldn't bring, I had to go on a liquid diet last year for three or four days. And I ate, drank the broth. And I thought, ooh, broth. And I, back then, I was like, broth, this tastes good. Good chicken noodle soup, broth. Blah. By like day two and a half, I was like, I never want to have broth again. I don't even want to smell chicken soup again. I don't want to have anything to do with this. So I bought the chicken broth and I did not crack it open. Just like, no, not going to do it. The thought of it was a little bit gag inducing a little gag reflex happening I'm like Ugh, no so uh i just drank water i didn't even know if i could get tea so i didn't even risk the tea and because uh, the last thing you want to do is like go through I, the last time six months ago i was talking to one of the nurses and she's like oh yeah some people have come in and they just came from breakfast or just came from lunch and like they can't don't they read the instructions or you'd be surprised an alarming number of people can't read the instructions so I, I follow the instructions to a T, and I was cleaned out. And then they said, hey, uh, instead of 2.30 procedure, we could do 1.30. We had some cancellations. You want to come in, get this thing over with, then you can, you know, make a late lunch maybe. I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I want to do that. Because already all the instructions to start starving yourself and everything, those are for people who um, have procedures at like 8 a.m. and – being in the afternoon, like I go in for checkups with my my general or primary care physician, and it always has to be in the afternoon. But every once in a while, I don't know they they check your blood, they want to check your cholesterol, which is back up again because of all this. But um, they want to check it, and you can't eat the day. Uh, is it the, you know, that day? You just have to wake up and fast. It's not that terrible, but usually my appointments at uh, Two thirty or something like that. If your appointment's at nine o'clock, yeah, no big deal. You get up, you go to the doctor. But if your appointment's at two thirty, you go, man, I could, I could go for a, a sandwich right about now. So you uh, get screwed out of that, and you have to stop eating at midnight, regardless of whether or not your appointment is at eight o'clock or at two thirty. Think it's a bunch of crap. Although you're not going to get up at like four o'clock in the morning to eat eggs just because you can't eat eggs for a few hours. But it was, it, I wasn't really hungry. I was just annoyed. So I get into the doctor. I'm there. I'm ready to go. I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And like, I'm empty. I'm empty, doc. Let's get this thing going. And it's taking forever in the waiting room. And so I'm uh, doing the check-in thing, and they're like, hey, uh, I said, are you guys 
running behind? Are you ahead? Is there a chance to get out of here even earlier? Oh, no, no, we're running. We're running way behind. What do you mean? Well, one procedure took like an hour and a half. Just like, oh, for crying out loud. Is this supposed to take 20 minutes? An hour and a half. And so they're they're way behind. They had a couple of them that took exceedingly long. So I was there an hour early, and I got out an hour after I would have gotten out had I gone in at the time I normally would have uh, was scheduled for. So I was just sitting there listening to my book on tape, kind of my butt hanging out, walking around with a little IV in my hand going, this is great. And then the, pro- the propofol made up for it. I can see why Michael Jackson died because that's, I mean, it's not to die for, but, you know, you wake up feeling very refreshed. And, uh, yeah, the Michael Jackson joke, inappropriate. I don't care. But, um, yeah, that went well. The thing, the initial results were good. We'll know more in like a week or so, but it was, it was all good. And then I went home and, and had a big steak because why not? <laughs> anyway, we've got a, a lot to get to today, a bunch of ground to cover. There is controversy, and who knows, but by now it might have been resolved. The It's so bizarre, to be honest with you, how the situation and Congress is is working out, how things are going. There's a big story the other day. They were running around, members of Congress saying, oh, my goodness, look out. We've got a problem here. There is a national security issue. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What's going on? Members of Congress are going, we need to tell the American people about this national security issue. And like, well, well, okay, spill it. But they didn't. Now, this is a knock against Republicans. This is a knock against Republicans. Now, maybe I don't know the timeline. I don't know how long they've known whatever information they've known uh, or the nature of the information just yet. But there is a sitting around and saying the uh, the administration needs to do something about this. The administration needs to tell people about it. the administration needs to declassify these things is all well and good. And that's the protocol that you should take under general circumstances. But if it is something that is absolutely immediate to the point that you have to come running out like a chicken with your head cut off and send members of Congress running into skiffs to try and get their information, there's a simple solution for this, especially if the administration won't let people know, won't let the public know this. And that's a speech or debate clause of the Constitution of the United States. That gives absolute immunity, unquestioned on any issue whatsoever, to any member of Congress speaking on the floor of their respective chamber and divulging anything, including the highest of classified national security secrets. Right? That's it. You can go down. If you remember the so-called torture memo, Remember the the CIA, they poured some water up the noses of some bad guys after 9-11, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the guy who planned it, the guy who concocted the whole thing. Like, oh, we poured water up his nose. This is, yeah, you know what? You make somebody laugh while they're drinking milk. Does that mean you're you're a CIA interrogator when it comes pouring out of their nose? I know it's a little more complicated than that, but I also know that I don't care. That The only thing I care about when it comes to pouring water up the nose of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is that they stopped is that that guy is still alive. He's down in Gitmo, but he's still alive, right? That bothers me. 
I don't have a lot of sympathy for, oh, we caught a terrorist. We can't, we're no better than they are if we do this, if we pour water up their noses. Well, you know what? We got to have some people on our team who are, in fact, no better than they are. You know why? Because we have to put the fear of them in them, right? If they're torturing people, they cut off his fingers one by one to try and get the information. Okay, when we catch that guy, let's let's start with his toes. Well, that would be mean. We'd be no better than him. But you know what? A lot of people, the recidivism rate amongst that guy right there would be zero. Right? If at the end of the day he ended up in hell, he's not going to be back to cut off any appendages from anybody. All right. And if we mine him for information, look, I'm all in. If we don't think he has any information, I'm all in favor of throwing him into an open volcano right away. There's no point in bothering it. But if he has information, we should try and extract that information. The left always says, no, they always say the harsh things don't work. Torture doesn't work. I don't, I don't want torture. Harsh interrogation techniques don't. Uh, really? They don't ever? Kind of did lead to finding Osama bin Laden. I mean, it was, it, it, it did. It helped. But, man, you know, it didn't say, well, Osama bin Laden's living in a Badabad. He's got a weird shaped house. No. But they told you about the messenger that they ended up tracking to somebody else, that ended up tracking to somebody else, that ultimately led to Osama bin Laden. You can't say nothing comes of it. We're so used to movies, though, when somebody's like, I'm going to, you know, Liam Neeson sitting there flipping on a light switch and going to electrocute you. And, oh, I'll tell you everything. Here's a, first of all, a mid-level manager in a terrorist organization probably doesn't have the uh, bank routing numbers and all the information necessary to stop the major plot. I don't think that they, they bring, look, we're plotting this massive attack. Bring in Earl down from the mailroom. Everybody needs to hear all the details so that if they're ever captured, they can deal, they can spill all the beans. These people are evil. They're not stupid. They bifurcate everything. But if you want to extract or try and extracting information, that's fine. But then when you're done, when you've got all you're going to get or all that you need or all that you think you're going to get from a Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, you then turn on the wood chipper, as far as I'm concerned. And the guy still hasn't even faced trial. He's never going to face trial. Because why? Because occasionally Democrats get in charge of things. And instead of trying him in uh, a military court or trying him in Gitmo, and really they want to try him in New York, there's a better than average possibility that, uh, look, Donald Trump stands a better chance of being convicted in New York than Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed has confessed, right? Once the dude confesses, what's the point of a trial? That's what I want to know. So, yeah, if he accidentally was fed to sharks slowly over time, you know, purely accidentally, I would not be upset about it. But anyway, back to the point at hand. If there is something the American public absolutely has to know or a member of Congress believes that the public needs to know in order to protect ourselves, they can go down to the floor and say it. The torture memo I went off on that tangent about was classified. Diane Feinstein, when she was alive, or well, back when she had a pulse anyway, um, the reason we have the so-called CIA torture memo 
is because Dianne Feinstein went down to the floor of the Senate and entered it into the record. She started reading it and entered the rest into the record. It was classified at the time. She had waited a long time. She wanted it declassified. She wasn't going to get it declassified. There's no reason for it to be declassified except for that the left-wing base that hates this country desperately wanted it to be declassified so they could say, aha, see, we're no better than the terrorists are. Really, do we... We go into villages, line up 3,000 civilians and set them on fire, asphyxiate them, burn them to death, pulverize them. We're no better than they are. Did we just tell everybody in a village of 10,000, you go about your business. We've got 20 snipers around the perimeter of this building. We're going to shoot 3,000 of you randomly throughout the course of the day, but we'll blow up the whole village if you aren't going about your business as normal. So go ahead. Like a bizarre, twisted squid game. No, we didn't do that. But that was entered into the record, and uh, the world knows, and they gave aid and comfort to our enemies. They used that as recruiting tools. Look, at, they, are, they are being mean to fellow Muslims. We must, oh, yeah, no, they, well, those fellow Muslims kind of killed a whole bunch of people. No matter, they're fighting the infidels, do you not see? So if whatever this is, is so damned important, at any point, any member of the House who has seen this information, anybody with clearance enough, and I don't think you just get clearance for being in Congress. You have to be on a relevant committee because God knows there'd be too many people with access to information because it's not just the members, it would be some of their staff. They can go down and tell the world about it. The story from, who is this? It's on MSN, but it's a Bloomberg story. U.S. intelligence shows that Russia is discussing the possibility of basing a nuclear weapon in space, according to people familiar with the matter. A finding that emerged after a top House Republican publicly warned of an unspecified national security threat. The threat cites U.S. intelligence, uh, the uh, The threat cited by U.S. intelligence is not yet an active one, and Russia has not deployed a nuclear weapon into space, according to people who spoke on condition of anonymity. While the conclusions are significant and the U.S. officials are taking the matter seriously, there is no immediate cause for public alarm, said the people. Okay, now we need to be aware of something like that. But it's times like this. Don't you wish we really had a James Bond or a Jason Bourne or somebody? The CIA was as in- The CIA seems to be able to run more efficient, better ops against American presidents named Trump than they can against any of our foreign enemies. It's just bizarre. They can they can perpetrate a, the Russia hoax and then say, well, the, the Hunter Biden laptop, Russian propaganda, get people to ignore that. They're perfectly capable of doing that. But taking out a Putin, not so much. Not so much at all. Not any, anywhere taking out actual enemies of the United States, not so much at all. It's weird. The CIA is much better working domestically, which they're strictly by law forbidden to do, than they are working overseas. Someone might want to look into that. Somebody might want to either, I don't know, change that, change the leadership, not just the senior management, not just the political appointees, 
but the mid-level managers as well change this whole thing, put in a new dynamic, people who don't view their fellow Americans as enemies, rather uh, enemies of the United States as enemies. Wouldn't that be a nice novel thing? But the uh, national security advice, you want to talk about not being able to assuage concerns. The national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, came out to the White House podium yesterday. This is big news yesterday while I was unconscious, while I was having propofol dreams. Um, he came out and tried to answer some questions. Now, this exchange is, I don't know what he was trying to do. I think he was probably trying to instill confidence in the administration's ability to handle this. He didn't manage to do that at all. The lack of your ability to say anything has the potential to raise distress for some Americans. In the simplest of terms, can you tell Americans that there's nothing they have to worry about right now in terms of what he describes as a national security threat? Look, I think in a way that question um, is impossible to answer with a straight yes, right? Because Americans uh, understand that there are a range of threats and challenges in the world that we're dealing with every single day. And uh, those threats and challenges range from terrorism to state actors. And we have to contend with them, and we have to contend with them in a way where we ensure the ultimate security of the American people. I am confident that President Biden, in the decisions that he is taking, is going to ensure the security of the American people going forward. And I will stand here at this podium and assert that, look you in the eye with confidence, that we believe that we can and will and are protecting the national security of the United States and the American people. Hey, can you tell the American public they got nothing to worry about? Well, that's a tough, tall thing to say just because of this, that. No. Okay. Then the answer is no. It's a da or nyet question, comrade. It's not It's not open for it, but nuanced. Yeah, most people. I mean, if you lived in the greater Los Angeles area, I probably wouldn't make plans for the weekend that uh, don't involve putting foil over your windows or maybe trying to get the hell out of town. But other than that, no, it's probably maybe the New Orleans area, roughly. But no, I wouldn't worry about these sorts of things. It, it's just, I love it. We can't tell you that information. But I'm going to be so vague. At this point, wouldn't you rather they just go, all right, go ahead and lie. Go out there and lie. They lie about everything. The border is secure. Well, we're more respected throughout the world than ever before as President Depends shuffles off the stage. No, no. They lie about everything, but when it comes to national security, like, well, I cannot tell you. Suddenly they're George Washington of myth. I cannot tell a lie. We're screwed. I just, I don't get it. Now, if you remember these people, these very same people, these very same Democrats, including, I believe, Joe Biden, was he was there at the time when Ronald Reagan started talking about a missile defense system. They called it Star Wars. They mockingly called it Star Wars. This was ridiculous. It's like shooting a bullet with a bullet. I'll never be able to shoot a bullet with a bullet. All these people who now revel in something like Iron Dome, which came directly from Star Wars, our Patriot missile defense, all of that came from that. We actually were able and are able to defend ourselves against incoming missile attacks, which, again, is probably a big part of the reason why Russia is even considering putting nukes in space, is because uh, we wouldn't be able to defend against that as easily. Instead of 
sitting there going, yeah, it never would have worked, never would have worked, and then basking in its glow. They should be trying to develop the next step in that, the next series in that. Should they not? Hey, let's develop a defense against space-based missiles, something with a smaller reaction time, a shorter reaction time. How about that? But no, instead you get uh, word salads tossed by Jake Sherman or Jake Sullivan out at the White House podium. Why? Because anything else seems an awful lot like work. Feeling safer yet? All right. Hey, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast, the 16th of February, 2024. Happy Friday, glorious Friday. And uh, welcome back. We are back. I got a bunch of emails. Nobody listens to the end of the show. Where were you? What were you doing? It was... Uh, colonoscopy day and so yeah that's just the dilio <laughs> what a pain in the ass it is so there you go that's why there was no show yesterday i mentioned it at the end of the program but there will be a show tonight at midnight at patreon.com slash derek hunter podcast <clears throat> or at derek hunter dot locals dot com it'll be a good time a splendid time is guaranteed for all so don't forget to check that out. I got to I say to Ryan out there, I'm not going to give a last name, but Ryan, you're crazy. And you can you can edit that back down. You don't have to. He's incredibly generous um, at the Patreon site. And uh, it's flattering, but, dude, I feel guilty. I, I just I have five bucks a month. If everybody gave five bucks a month, I'd be fine. You know, some people, a lot of people don't give. Most people don't give. But and don't subscribe. But you know, it's it, when people are super generous, you get the shout out, and then I just say that uh, you don't have to. It's much appreciated, but you do not have to do it. Do not feel obligated to do it. And I feel guilty if in any way, shape, or form I made anybody ever feel obligated to do it. Although you are obligated to do five bucks a month, that I won't lose sleep over. But everything else is is gravy and flattering and insane to me because I'm just me. I have to listen to me all the time. I use the word have to rather than get to deliberately They're like who the hell am I but I appreciate the hell out of it but I wouldn't blame you and I urge you to rethink it just because uh, anyway everybody else rethink supporting the program check it out and there's a picture of Bailey up there looking sad that she wants a toy you know, maybe I'll buy that toy now uh, all right let's get on with the show as you watch I'm looking at uh, Twitter here good lord I don't know what it is. I've got it on mute, and I'm not going to... I don't want to watch it because I don't want to know. I guess I'll watch it at some point over the weekend or something, but Tucker in Russia. He did a big video yesterday about how wonderful the subway, the main subway station in Russia was, how beautiful and clean, and there's no crime. And In his video, he said it was apropos of nothing. It's a really long video, and it's got a lot of visuals because the main subway station in Moscow is beautiful. It's absolutely looks like Wedgwood everywhere, all over the walls. There's mosaics. It's very, very uh, well done. It was done with essentially slave labor, and it was done for the exact purpose that Tucker used it for. I don't know. Maybe Tucker will never talk to me again after this. But um, yeah, you can make really nice train station. North Korea has really nice facilities. Nobody's around to use them. And if you go and complain or commit a crime, there's, there's no crime in the subway. There's no homelessness. Yeah, you, you lay down in the subway, they'll come along and res arrest you. Uh, 
If you're drunk, they might let you slide, let you go. If you're not drunk, if you're just a degenerate junkie, they might disappear you. You never know. If you dare do or say anything that is uh, displeasing to the powers that be in, in Russia, they might kill you. Part of the things that displease them are crimes. They're the only ones who are allowed to steal things. The Putins of the world, not the people on the street. So as you sit there and you watch this video, you have to keep all of this in mind, in context. There's not a lot of thievery in Saudi Arabia. Why? Because they'll cut your damn hand off. All right. So people do commit crimes. People do steal. But they uh, they do so at their own risk. And they do so because they absolutely need to. And they're very well convinced that they can get away with it. That's that's why they do it. That's how they do It's not anybody just going willy-nilly, going, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I want this sandwich or this hamburger, this, this uh, I can't really steal a hamburger, but a candy bar or whatever. And now today, Tucker, there's a video circulating of Tucker in a grocery store. And I don't know why or the context, like I say, I'm not listening to the audio of it, but it is Tucker in a grocery store in Russia in Moscow buying a ton of stuff and it comes out to like $100. It's a ton of stuff. It would cost you $300 here in the United States probably. And Eva Vlargenblik, whatever, from Norway, who used to be on his show a lot. She's probably still on his, his internet show. She tweets it out saying, Tucker is right to be radicalized by the high standard of living and low cost in Russia because he knows the only reason it's not like that in the West anymore is because of conscious choices made by the people who hate us. It's by design. I'm not really sure what she means by that, but price controls don't work. The grocery store was weirdly empty in, uh, in Russia. And they have a central controlling government. You can set the prices. You can set the supply. The demand. You can control everything. You want to argue that that's better. No, I'd rather pay higher prices and have the freedom, right? Because the freedom will lead to innovation. The innovation will lead to lower prices. It'll combat. The market is fighting right now to combat the inflation that these elites, so-called elites, they're only elite because they declare themselves to be elite. There's no unit of measure. There's no intelligence. There's nothing behind it. It's like, oh, you've got an IQ of 134. You're just at the lower end of elite. Congratulations. You're in the club. Here's your secret pass key. No, that's not how it works. But to sit there and go, well, this system's better. You don't get to pick and choose the parts of communism that you like. <laughs> it's kind of because that's what that's what progressives do around the world is they want it all. But they go, well, we, we can't implement straight up communism across the board right away. What we can do is uh, we'll give you certain things, little little carrots on a stick. Right. Free health care, quote, free, free health care. Wait, we like that. It's not very good. You wouldn't want to get sick in Russia. I guarantee you that, you know, the rest of the world with the socialized medicine, when the chips are down, the people with the means come to the United States for treatment. Remember that. 
the king of Jordan, King Abdullah, I think, before King Hussein right now, the king of Jordan died of cancer. He did not die in Jordan. He's the king. The entire country right there is at his disposal. He could have the best doctors in all of his country working, fighting to save or extend his life. He went to the Mayo Clinic. Why would he do that? Because the United States and the freedom afforded here fosters the innovation that the rest of the world mooches off of, leeches off of. I'm not saying you're going to die for sure, but you've got a choice. Was it when when uh, Mick Jagger needed his heart valve replaced? Whatever he had that done in New York. He lives in London. He has a house or apartment in New York. But he is a UK citizen, which means he's got all the free health care, all the stuff, the national health service over there. He had it all lined up and paid for. And he came to the United States. For, why would he do that? Money isn't an object. So why would he do that? Well, because of the wait times. The wait times up in Canada, six months to get a hip replacement. That's after you get diagnosed, after the specialist decides you need a hip replacement and the specialist deems you are worthy of getting a hip replacement because if you're too old just look there's no point what's the point in putting new tires on a 1965 buick that's rusted out and maybe has a couple hundred miles left in it what's the point of buying new michelins for it there isn't one so you have that same mentality in socialized medicine. Are you worth this so-called investment? But they hook a lot of young people. They hook a lot of stupid people going free. Free health care. Everybody pays. Everybody does. I had to pay $500, $560-some dollars yesterday at the doctor. Was it fun? No, but I knew it. and I took care of it. I planned for it. But, you know, if somebody says, well, we'll give you that for free. Hey, kid, first one's free. All you got to do is wait another year to get it done. No. The people in Canada, the health ministers, there was a health minister in Ontario. God, this had to be two years ago now. A health minister in Ontario that is in charge of, you know, making sure that the rationed care is rationed properly and fairly for everybody had cancer, a cancer diagnosis, and came to the United States for treatment on their own dime because they're wealthy. The government bureaucrats, they're people who have time to, you know, I think they were a government appointee. They have money. They bypassed the socialized system. Now, you can wait six weeks after a cancer diagnosis to even meet with a specialist to start with your treatments, to decide what kind of treatments the government will afford you. Well, that guy isn't going to wait six weeks. He wants to wait six weeks. Nobody wants to wait six weeks. So they bypass it. The elites, the people with means, bypass it. And most of the time, the people with means, the elites, the people, are also the people in charge. The people in charge of determining how long you have to wait. It's socialism. Everybody suffers equally. But there's always, I always point this out. The Soviet Union. Because you go, oh, this this train station, the subway station, it's so lovely. It's so beautiful. We have nothing. It's clean. You could eat off the floors in here. Great. But back in the day under Stalin, what could you eat? You didn't have any food. Go to where the bread lines were. 
where the people were starving and standing in line waiting for their daily ration of bread. I bet you the sidewalks there are smooth. I bet you that they're clean. I bet you they're wonderful. So what does it matter if you're standing in a bunch of potholes or standing on smooth, clean sidewalks when you're standing there begging for food? I'd rather survive in filth than beg in cleanliness. Wouldn't you? I mean, granted, it would make really nice postcards and wonderful photographs back home, but I can change my station here. I can change my situation in the United States. Most of the rest of the world, you're kind of born into a caste system, not quite like India, but an economic caste system. Look at the UK, your middle class or your working class or your, you know, the, the erudite elite nobility class. There's not a lot of mobility in between them. In Russia, you're born rich, you're going to stay rich. If you're born poor, you're probably going to stay poor. You might not be starving to death anymore, but it's not going to be a fun existence. In the United States, how many rags to riches stories have you heard? I'm not talking about lottery winners. I'm talking about people who innovate, people who create, people who have the freedom to try and the freedom to fail. Because with the freedom to fail comes the freedom to succeed. You can't have one without the other. Well, you're denied the freedom to try in other countries, but you can buy groceries for cheaper. Maybe you want to, maybe some people will accept that, uh, to which I would suggest that flights to Moscow aren't all that expensive. But I promise you, you wouldn't like it. If you look at the system over there, everybody's equal, except for some weird reason, leadership is fat. Stalin is overweight. Khrushchev, overweight. Brezhnev, overweight. The series of people who died after a couple of weeks of office, they were all fat. The people were starving. Kim Jong-un, fat. Kim Jong-il, fat. Kim Il-sung, fat. About as far back as my, I think that's all the Kims in North Korea. Castro, portly. The people, not so much. Everybody's equal. Some people are just more equal than others. So it's really easy to look at certain aspects of totalitarian regimes, of bad actors, of other places, even if they are well-intentioned and go, oh, this is, they've got this figured out. They don't have to pay. You always see Michael Moore. You know, in uh, the UK, when you have a baby, the hospital pays you like 40 bucks or whatever it is, rather than you having to pay the hospital. Great. You know, when you have cancer in the UK, you've got to wait a very long time to get the diagnosis. Then you've got to wait an even longer time to meet with the uh, specialist to determine how to treat your cancer. And you don't really, if the government says no, the answer is no. If you look at, you know, you do some research on your own and say, hey, there's this new treatment out there for this type of cancer that, uh, you know, is, is really I think showing a lot of promise. Maybe my ovarian cancer can be treated this way. And with it, and they go, yeah, no, we, we haven't approved that yet. It's not approved. It's approved in the United States. 
because we get new medical treatments and new prescription drugs, new treatments for every disease faster and sooner than every other country on the planet. Why? Because their governments are too busy determining whether or not it's worth it. They have to pay for it. And they go, this is expensive. What if we do this and uh, it costs us a lot of money? This is geared to most diseases, quite frankly, impact the elderly. If suddenly you found a pill that uh, staved off the symptoms of Alzheimer's, kept them at bay, didn't cure it, but it was a treatment. Well, the majority of people who have Alzheimer's are 70s, 80 years old. What if it were $10,000 a year? Now, you'd think that's nothing. It's absolutely worth it to have your parents or your grandparents be able to recognize you, to be able to, be able to keep them around and, and lucid longer. They'd pay it for Joe Biden. But the government would look at that and go, well, Medicare would have to pick up a lot of that tab, especially if it's administered in a hospital. I don't know. We don't want to do that. They drag their feet to do that. They drag their feet to prove that. It would take an act of Congress to approve that. Because why? Because they got to foot the bill and it costs a lot of money. Not just, you know, $10,000. That's not a whole lot to save somebody's brain. $10,000 provided, divided or multiplied by 100,000 people a year or a million people a year. Then suddenly you're talking about some real money. If you remember when Dick Cheney was vice president and he had to have a pacemaker put into his chest, it was a new thing. It was an implantable. They had a wearable pacemaker that was connected by it, but this was an implantable pacemaker. And he got it because he was vice president, but he's on Medicare as well because he was elderly. And what happened? I don't think he had Medicare, but it was... He was old enough to be on Medicare, and people noticed. Said, Wait a second. He got this pacemaker that is not approved for Medicare, meaning if you're on Medicare, you can't get it. And so they had to scramble really quickly and pass a law that said, okay, this is now included in, in Medicare for Medicare patients because the optics were bad. It wasn't created the day Dick Cheney got it. Dick Cheney wasn't patient zero in testing out this new technology. It was just the first one anybody noticed, the first one media reported on, and him being a Republican, of course, he said, you know, other senior citizens can't get this, and blah, 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 and they scrambled. It was the latest and best technology. It had been around for a little while, and nobody had it approved in Medicare because the people who would have wanted it in Medicare weren't important enough for anybody to bother to notice. You're dependent on government for your life, for your quality of life, for all of that. So, yeah, you can walk out with a ton of groceries in Moscow for $103, and congratulations to that. But the thing that left out of Tucker's report, I'd imagine, is that earning $103 is a hell of a lot harder over there. <laughs> right? It's kind of an important thing. The end cost is wonderful. Whether or not you can afford it is something else. Being at a checkout in a grocery store and saying, look at Americans, this costs us three times as much in the United States is great. 
what if the income of a Russian is one-third as much in the United, as the United States or less? Because it is. The whole picture matters, not just the frame. Uh, oh, by the way, so I don't know why. I, there's a, an email newsletter for a friend of mine's nonprofit that I, I edit and work on in, in evenings. And... Uh, I needed some images of talking about something going out of business or whatever it was. And so I said, oh, let's uh, see about a going out of business thing or whatever. And I see this banner. It's a going out of business, everything must be sold banner. And it's on Wayfair. And I thought it was really, I thought it was good. And so I looked at the bottom of the thing in the Google image results. And they always, when you click on it, it's a larger version of the, picture on the right and uh it says uh, out of stock i thought what so i click on it and there you go to go to the wayfair page going out of business banner sign by sign mission it's 68 dollars and 68 cents and uh, let's see the banner is a great way to advertise your business if you're worried about advertising your business you probably should have bought a different banner earlier on said uh, this banner is made of heavy duty 13 ounce outdoor vinyl blah 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 inks rated for five plus years probably shouldn't be going out of business for five plus years although there's a place around uh, where we live that uh, has been going out of business for the last two years it's a furniture store seems to always be. That might be the name of the place going out of business. But um, you look at the sign, and right over the top of the sign says, out of stock. So I've finally found something that is thriving under Bidenomics. The going out of business sign business is really making a comeback. God bless you, Joe, you know. I can see uh, people should make screen captures of this. If you're listening from the Republican National Committee, you should be making commercials out of this. You should find it's this can't be the only one that is out of stock. But you've got to find a way to capitalize on it because this is this is Joe Biden's. It's a freaking sign. okay? you can print. I don't understand how a sign. Well, we couldn't possibly print another one. Why did the factory burn down? No. And how is it out of stock? I look. I remember when we had uh, young kids that were using the baby formula, the Infamil stuff, and I. It was tough to find sometimes. Not impossible to find, but like sometimes it was just. You know, I mean, it wasn't tough to find. It was in the stores, but it was cheaper to order it online from them. They'd have sales, and if you were signed up for whatever promotions, they'd send you coupons and everything. So rather than go to Target or Walmart and buy a case. You could buy a case for like four or five bucks cheaper from their official website. But every once in a while, you'd go there to order it and it'd be out of stock. And you're like, how the hell are you out? You make the stuff. How are you out of stock? Here's an idea. Make more. Right? What you, doesn't that make Make more. There you go. Theoretically, the company itself should get the first crack at things, shouldn't they? But they were always out of stock. Just like this... Uh, Hero bread. Love the hero bread. It's low carb, like one net carb, and it tastes actually pretty good. It tastes like real bread, unlike a lot of the other stuff. And they've got uh, certain certain products. They're making more. Somebody needs to make a, a keto English muffin. Then I'd be down with. They don't seem to exist. Their English muffins are bagels. The bagels with like 
I don't know what the hell they're they're high fiber or whatever. And like, oh, they got 20 grams of fiber. Yeah, but they've got 50 carbs. So you get 30 net carbs. Like that kind of defeats the purpose. It's not low carb. It's less carbs than normal, I suppose. But how about you make something out of this stuff? But anyway, they make, uh, what do you call them? Croissants that are wild. Apparently Tom Brady invests in hero bread. But um, they make these croissants. And they send out these emails. We're going to have the croissants soon. And then we've got their croissants now. Make sure you order croissants before they're gone. And then they're gone. They go, ooh, we're out of croissants, but we'll let you know. sign up and we'll get you more croissants when we let you. How do you run out? You make it. You make it. I don't even know if they're in stores anywhere. You make the stuff. You should never run out of it. Unless it's, of course, just a marketing gimmick where they're like, we'll get more people. And while you're here, why don't you order a couple loaves of bread? That kind of thing. And you just do it occasionally to get people who aren't necessarily ordering fast enough for your liking to uh, do it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Just uh, an interesting aside as we look at all the news. And speaking of all the news, I want to tell you, yesterday the House of Representatives passed a resolution it's a non-traversial resolution. No, but I don't know how this is and how one. Per- well, let me put it this way. Rashida Tlaib was the only person to vote not for it. She didn't have the guts to vote against it, which is where her heart lies, no doubt. But she voted present, which is the coward's way out. It was a resolution condemning rape and sexual violence by Hamas. I let that sink in, that, that there's any human being who's not an active member of Hamas. Maybe Rashida, she is, I believe she's single. Um, who is not an active member of Hamas, how they vote against this. 210 Republicans voted yes Nine were not there that day, and 208 Democrats voted yes. Three were not there that day, and one voted present. Now, Rashida Tlaib could have not voted. Nobody would have, well, people would have noticed, but she said, oh, I was too busy, whatever. She instead voted present because she didn't have the balls, honestly, to vote no. Her heart lies in no. She is, you know, a no vote when it comes to condemning Hamas on anything. She is a big believer in both sidisms. Now, if you don't believe me, then let me prove it to you. She then, in trying to explain her no vote against sexual violence and rape by Hamas, went down to the floor of the House of Representatives and tried to explain it away. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. All acts of sexual violence are horrific. We should all be fighting to end it here at home and all around the world. So while the resolution on the floor today rightfully denounces any sexual violence by Hamas, I'm disturbed that it completely ignores and erases any sexual violence and abuse committed by the Israeli forces against Palestinians, especially children. War crimes cannot justify more war crimes. We must stand up for everyone's safety and human rights, no matter their faith, no matter their ethnicity. There are numerous well-documented reports of sexual violence, including rape, committed by Israeli forces against Palestinians in their custody. Children detained and stripped to their underwear in public for the world to see. 
Mr. Speaker, I'd like to submit for the record a Haritz article tired, titled Settlers and Soldiers Abuse Palestinians. Without objection. The UN and human rights groups have raised alarms for years, but Congress did nothing, never cared. We all have a responsibility to denounce sexual violence in all forms, regardless of who is responsible. This resolution fell, falls well short of that responsibility, Mr. Speaker. I yield. Oh, we must condemn. Uh, how, yeah, no, the, what Hamas did is, is not super not good, you know, totally not the best thing that I would have recommended against it. But let us not forget what Israel has done. Here's a report from a terrorist sympathizing news outlet that says Israel is bad whilst Hamas is good. I'd like it entered into the now. Um, what she's essentially doing here is pulling an all lives matter. Anybody who remembers the 2016 campaign, Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton Jr. the third, Bernice Sanders, and Martin, our own Martin O'Malley here in Maryland, they were all asked various times, "Do Black Lives Do Black Lives Matter?" Do Black people forget that that predated George Floyd? Do Black Lives Matter? Of course, all lives matter. No, you can't say that. And they all had to apologize. How dare you say all lives matter? This is about Black Lives Matter. All lives. To say that to all lives matter is to otherize black. How? How is it just to otherize black people? How? You're the one separating. When somebody says all lives matter, you're the one saying that that excludes black people, that excludes excludes black lives, right? Aren't you then, therefore, the one doing the otherizing? Just thinking logically here? Well, racist. They're not going to be able to talk about that. But, of course, the left wing, they all bound. Of course, Black Lives Matter, I apologize. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Apologies, apologies, apologies. Well, the Congress was condemning the rape and sexual violence of Hamas. It wasn't saying all of the rape and sexual assault is good. It wasn't saying anything about all other rape and sexual assault. But Rashida Tlaib, of course, took it as such. Well, she didn't take it as such. She was looking. That's the easiest path when dealing with stupid people. The path of least resistance is the easiest because you make such a patently stupid argument. And you, most people would look at that and go, I can't make this argument. That's ridiculous. Everybody would see right through this. But when you're dealing with dumb people, you go, I can make this argument because nobody will see right. The people who matter to me, my voters, my supporters, my donors, they won't see right through this. They're stupid. So I'll go down there and say, I have to vote against this or not vote for this because it ignores Jewish sexual assault and rape. Rashida, I would ask you for the footage or just, you know, I don't even need the footage. Just the date on which Israeli forces parachuted into Gaza to murder a bunch of people and, and rape and sexually assault a bunch of women. If you just give me the data, I can find, I can find the footage of it myself. I can find the news stories about it myself. If you, because you know, I'd have to exclude because you put in like Hamas, uh, Israel, sexual assault, rape you're going to get a whole bunch of results from October the 7th, right? Because that's, that's what Hamas did on that day. And in addition to killing 
1,200 Israelis. Uh, but I'd have to, you can, you, there's a way to do an advanced Google search where you exclude mentions of October 7th. So I can probably find the stories of what you're talking about if you just give me a date, if you give me a, a rough range of when it was, Rashida. But of course, she can't because it's not true. She's lying. She cites one, quote, news story. And maybe I'm sure I'm sure that in the entirety of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, that there is somebody who did or maybe even a couple of somebodies who did horrible things to the Palestinian people. There's no question about it. You get 10 people in a room and one of them has probably done something really, really horrible. Or would or inclined to or whatever. The odds are just in favor of it. Human beings come in all shapes and sizes. It is not official Israeli government policy or IDF policy. The soldiers, if in fact these sexual assaults did happen, were not acting under duress of direct orders. You will either go in there and rape that girl or I shall have you court-martialed. No, the terrorists on October the 7th were sent into Israel for the express purpose of killing people and instilling terror in Israel as many people as possible. Many of them murdered their rape victims. Many of them did not. You terrorize people and you leave them behind to tell the tale so that their tales may terrorize others. What's the point of terrorism if, if you terrorize somebody in the woods and no one's around to hear the screams or tell the tale? Does it really matter? Have you really terrorized anybody other than that one individual? These people are evil, not stupid. But more to the point to Rashida Tlaib, congresswoman from the district I grew up in. Um, you've been in Congress for a while now, right? You, you've been there for a while now. Where is your resolution that condemns sexual violence across the board? Where is it? If you do personally condemn sexual violence, where, why haven't you condemned it? You've been in office since 2019, January of 2019. You ought to be able to point me or anybody in the direction of your resolution that you offered up to Congress to condemn all sexual assault and rape. Or if you don't want to take it too broad, you don't want to involve yourself in conflicts in Africa and Eastern Europe or Asia and South America, you could then just show, show me the resolution you introduced to condemn the sexual assault and rape of Hamas and of the IDF, since you seem to think it exists. If you believe it exists, then why would you not have introduced something to condemn it years ago? Why would that be? Well, you know, she doesn't. There is no explanation. There is no excuse. There is no anything. She's lying. This is what she does. This is what Democrats do. This is how they function. This is what they are as people. Well, the Israelis have done this, that, and the other thing. Okay. Well, the story that she cited from 
Haritz is dated October 21st, 2023. Where is your condemnation of that? Where, if you are, to, if you believe this story, why did you not immediately? Because that's after October seventh. Three weeks after, two weeks after October seventh, you then should easily have had time to draft a resolution condemning these horrible acts on both parts. Yet that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because she knows this doesn't exist. It wouldn't stand up to scrutiny. See, the difference between an allegation in the Middle Eastern media and the allegations from Israel is Israel has the proof. Israel can not only give you video of, well, photographs of the aftermath and eyewitness testimony and firsthand testimony of what the terrorists did on that day, but they can also give you the video footage from the terrorists themselves doing it. All you can get is secondhand anecdotes from the Israeli health ministry. It's the same people who told you 500 people died in the bombing of a hospital that wasn't bombed. These are the same people who will tell you 70,000, 100,000 people have been killed or are missing in, in Gaza. Really? That many? You know immediately when there's a bombing how many people died. You can't count for 70,000 people. You don't know whether they're dead, missing, whatever. We don't know. We can't tell. Really? Because if you kill tens of thousands of people, there are bodies. That's the thing about it. There are bodies. You could eat. These people are not above exploiting the dead. There's a reason they march down the street and dance around and, and film funerals of various people they declare to be martyrs. They could easily prove these allegations, but when they have receptive, useful idiots like Rashida Tlaib and her fellow travelers in the media, there's no reason or need to prove anything. The allegation is enough. And these very same people then question the horrors of October the 7th. Convenient, isn't it? All lives matter. All sexual assault and rape matters. Or none of it matters, Rashida. Condemn any of it every chance you get. Or you're admitting that you embrace some of it when it's done by your friends or maybe even your dating pool. Since we're talking about uh, Rashida Tlaib and terrorists and terrorist sympathizers and those people who love them, I want to play you this audio. It's, it's amazing to me how this happens. And you, I don't get it. I don't get why it is. Like, I get that there's anti-Semitism in the world. There's not that many Jews in the world. There's more anti-Semites than, anti, uh, than there are Jews in the world. It's the most bizarre thing. Like people who... It will not have really any impact on your life. Like, God, I hate those Jews. Like, why? I don't know why. Well, that's that's just a sign of how freaking stupid you are then, isn't it? But they seem to, all these anti-Semites seem to find their way into leadership positions in nonprofits and charities and non-governmental agencies and all of that and non-governmental organizations, NGOs. And you go, this doesn't, this is how does this happen and why there's no good explanation there's nobody who's first of all the jews what a ridiculous concept 
It's as dumb as going, the black people. I don't. I was the one time in my life I had a gun pointed at me. It was by a black guy. Do I then say, well, that's black people? They point guns at people. No, I don't. But you can say, ah, oh, Jews, the banks, Jews, accountants, Jews, money, Jews, and like, and everybody or far too many people, particularly on the Democratic side, go, you're damn right, you're damn right. Rashida Tlaib will come over to your house and cook you dinner if you're anti-Semitic enough. I don't know if that's an official, like, uh, in-kind re- response or something you can give enough money to her campaign for and get or not, or if it just has to be sort of under the table. But whatever, she'll probably want to date you if you're really anti-Semitic enough. She may want to date Martin Griffiths. Martin Griffiths is the U.N. Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Aid, for it, uh, Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief. And he was on television, I think it was the BBC the other day. And I want you to, Hamas, not only did Hamas order, plan, execute, order the October 7th terror attacks against Israel. They filmed themselves doing it. They bragged about it afterwards and throughout the Muslim world, wherever that happens to be, including Dearborn, Michigan, people were going, yay, you stuck it to those damn Jews. This is a day, academia. It's amazing how tenure seems to trigger the anti-Semitic gene. So much of academia was like, you're damn right, we finally got some justice in the Middle East and everything. But an organization like the United Nations isn't really supposed to pick sides. And if they do you'd think they'd pick the side not of the terrorists. You know, I'm just old-fashioned that way. I would think that you'd pick the side not of the terrorists. But they did. Well, at least Martin Griffiths, UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief, they uh, he doesn't view Hamas as a terrorist organization. The, Of course, Hamas is the terrorist organization that gleefully posted online and live-streamed videos of their members executing their terror plan. They live-streamed their terror attack. And here is this piece of garbage at the UN saying, no, they're not a terrorist organization. They're a political movement. In terms of Israel's plan to eliminate and have them never be part of any future negotiation when it comes to Gaza, do you think that's realistic? I think it's very difficult. And as you say, I've, I've worked with many, many, many different terrorist and, and, and insurgent groups. Uh, Hamas is not a terrorist group for, for us, of course, as you know. It's a political movement. And it's just a political movement that rapes women, murders children, uh, shoots anybody in the back, civilians in the back, paraglides into uh, territory and just starts strafing the crowds at a music fest. They're not a terrorist organization. They're just a political movement. No, they're just... And what's the little casual? I've worked with many terrorist organizations. Well, that's telling. In a just world, the United States would stop paying all dues to the United Nations as long as Martin Griffiths is employed there. That would just it. Like, well, we can stop giving enough dues. The Biden administration may, if pressured, but they won't be pressured, may go, we're going to cut our uh, membership. We're going to protest. We're going to file a protest, a strongly worded letter to follow. But realistically, we should stop funding the United. We 
spend the most in the United Nations. We keep that essentially terrorist organization afloat. A branch of the United Nations had many members, dozens of members involved in the terror attack and the plotting, in the concealing, in the aftermath, uh, in the lead up to, in the October 7th attack as well. And we're still, have you heard a uh, any movement by the Biden administration to go, well, we're seriously, we're going to pause all funding until we find out what the hell is. No, they don't. They, they, they know that Iran planned it. They know that Iran funded it. They're not even going, you know what? We're going to pause money on Iran. Iran is currently funding the Houthi rebels, the terrorists in Yemen that are today probably attacking U.S. shipping interests and U.S. military ships going through the Red Sea. And we're just going, well, we're, we're going to give Iran another couple billion dollars. We're going to unfreeze some assets. But don't worry. We have set it up so that money has to be used for humanitarian aid. It cannot be used for terrorism. Okay, so it can be used to buy food and medicine. You can buy, say, a billion dollars worth of food and medicine with this billion dollars you're going to unfreeze. A billion dollars. Well, guess what Iran was going to buy anyway? A billion dollars worth of food and medicine. Why? Because a starving, dying population is not a particular, you know, even if you're a total dictator, not super good. To have a, a starving population will could rise up against you, and the non-radical extremist Islamists outnumber the radical extremist Islamists in Iran probably five ten to one. So you got to keep the people fed, so they're at least content. You got to have the medicine there, so they're at least content. Because suddenly, if people start dying of preventable diseases or people start starving to death in the street, then. The people who hate your theocratic government will have a lot more ammunition, a lot more fodder, and be able to cause a popular uprising that may well end up with your execution. Again, maybe the theme of today's show is these people are evil, not stupid, and it applies to everybody. So if you're going to spend a billion dollars on food or say you need a billion dollars worth of food and medicine over the course of a year, and uh, the United States says we're going to unfreeze a billion dollars for food and medicine only. You can't use it for terrorism. If you're committed to terrorism and you know that you can get by for a billion dollars for food and medicine and somebody else is willing to pick it up, you're not suddenly going to go, great, we're going to have $2 billion worth of food and medicine. They're not going to do that. They're going to say, awesome, we're going to use your billion dollars to buy food and medicine and we're going to use our billion dollars for whatever else we want, up to and including a whole bunch of terrorism. You see, and then the Biden administration can say we've placed strict restrictions on the money that we'll be releasing, that it must be used for humanitarian aid. We will in no way be funding terrorism when, in fact, they are funding terrorism. You've got a billion dollars in your pocket that you're going to have to pay your mortgage with. And somebody comes along and sticks a billion dollars in your other pocket and says you can use this for uh, your mortgage, but you can't use it for anything else. Well, guess what happens to the billion dollars in your right pocket that you were going to be forced to use for your mortgage? It's party time, man. Let's go to strip club. Let's live large. Let's get it going. That's how it works. They don't want you to think. And it's amazing how all of these people, the Jake Sullivan's of the world, they all just kind of 
become amnesiacs and mathematical morons when you point this out to people. No, 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 no. We have strict safeguards in place to make sure that the money we're giving them does not. Okay, but what about the other money? We make sure that we do not use our money to do. Okay, that's not the point. It's money's fungible. You say, all right, you can use water from my pool to put out your fire, your campfire. But don't use water from the deep end, all right? Don't use water. For, I The deep end is eight feet deep. It's just deep enough so I can dive. I don't want any water taken out of the deep end. You can use water from the shallow end because nobody dives in there, okay? You do that, and we're fine. Does that make any sense? Neither does what they argue. But they argue it. They insist it. And the truth tellers in the media, the truth tellers, of course, being in air quotes, are the ones who sit there and go, Bleh. we're not going to ask about that anymore. They might ask about it once. They'll have one go around and they'll get the answer. We've got safeguards in place to make sure that our money doesn't go to that. They can't even spend the money. It's spent before we don't even send them money. We just send them a billion dollars worth of, of pills and food. Okay, great. They were getting a billion dollars worth of pills and food before. Now they don't have to buy those. Now they got a billion dollars. They're either going to throw the wildest orgy key party ever Tehran has ever seen, which is probably unlikely, or they've now got a billion dollars to, you know, everybody gets in the inner circle, gets a million themselves. They get to live a little larger, their next vacation shopping spree to Switzerland. And there's a couple hundred million dollars left over for terrorist activities. Funny how that works. And funny how everybody in the world can figure this out. A kid with a piece of paper and a pencil could do this math, but all of these people in charge couldn't. All these people in charge can't. Shockingly stupid. Not surprising, but shockingly stupid. By the way, since we're talking about left-wing stupidity, New York Times today, they're running a story. This is a genuine headline. Why the case against Fannie Willis seems familiar to black women. The subheadline in interviews, professional women were dismayed by the personal attacks on the Georgia prosecutor, but not surprised. Uh, it's uh, New York Times, New York Times. And it looked uh, by Kyle McGrady, who is a man of color, and Katie Gluck or something like that. Uh, she does not appear by her photograph to be a woman of color, but they read it anyway. How dare they not celebrate enough diversity? But they uh, start off this way. Tangela. Who names her? Tangela. T-A-N-G-A-L-A. Tangela L. Hollis Palmer. Mouthful. Felt a sense of pride when she learned that Fannie T. Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, and one of the nation's few elected black female prosecutors, would lead the election interference case against former President Donald J. Trump. Oh, she felt a sense of Why would she feel a sense of pride? No offense, white people out there, but whenever any of you have done anything, I've never said, that's eh, one for people like me. Yes. Never once. It didn't even occur to me to try that kind of crap. Go like, oh, you know what? White people, we can do stuff. White people, oh, I'm so glad to finally see a white guy do this. Like a white guy, and a, some Eastern European white guy 
makes good in the NBA, I don't go, you know what, I hate basketball, but I'm going to watch because of a guy named Luca. No, Luca will forever be a Suzanne Vega song to me, and I couldn't care less about basketball, regardless of the uh, pigment of the people engaging in it. But you can sit there and you can say, any other racist would be wildly unacceptable. But it, like, oh, you know what, she felt a sense of pride because the, they're both black. Oh, that's kind of racist. But it's the New York Times. They won't ever point that out. And the story continues. But that pride would be tempered by dismay as news emerged of Miss Willis's personal relationship with a fellow prosecutor, Nathan J. Wade. He's not a fellow. He's a former slip and fall attorney. He's a former traffic attorney that she was sleeping with. Right. And she hired at $100 more an hour than she hired anybody else. He has no criminal experience whatsoever, nothing to do with RICO case, and she hired him to be the lead prosecutor, lead prosecutor, and then took a bunch of vacations. Suddenly he could afford a bunch of nice vacations, and he spent a lot of that money affording nice vacations with her. Hmm. Can you say thievery, grift, abuse of funds, corruption? But no, that's not the point of this. They continue, an outside lawyer she hired to help run the case. No mention of his disqualifications. Uh, Miss Hollis Palmer, a black 40-year-old attorney from Mississippi. Do you imagine getting excited about a... You're not even in this damn state. You're like, oh, that prosecutor is the same skin color as me. Finally, some justice in the world. From Mississippi is mostly upset at critics trying, she said, to discredit Miss Willis. Wait, so she's pissed... Not at Fanny for giving that Fanny to her boyfriend who was married at the time and all the misappropriation of funds, all the corruption, all the she's not she's mad at people pointing it out. Right. Fanny Willis goes to a big black church in Atlanta and goes, oh, they're trying to discredit me because I'm a black woman saying I'm sleeping with this guy. I'm not sleeping with this guy. And then when irrefutable proof was discovered, just like Bill Clinton, I never had sexual relations with that woman. And then it's what about this stuff on the and how did this happen on the blue dress? What do you what goes on in the Oval Office that if you're not having relations that this ends up on her dressing? Oh, all right. Well, I guess I did. Sorry about that. After Fanny goes to that black church from the pulpit. I did not. How dare anybody suggest otherwise? Suggestions otherwise are racist. And then they said, uh, yeah, well, we got proof. And they're like, well, okay, I did. But I didn't hire him because he was my boyfriend. I only started screwing him after I hired him. Then I, okay, well, that's great. You, so your argument isn't that you hired your boyfriend with no experience at an inflated rate Way more, $100 more, $150 for people who were experienced, $250 for your concubine who wasn't experienced. You hired him more than, not because he was your boyfriend, but because during the interview process you thought you'd like to sleep with him, right? Is that is that a better argument? I mean, I guess maybe slightly, a little bit. Not an argument any rational person would make, but her argument is, no, 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 I wasn't. I didn't hire him because I was sleeping with him. I slept with him. I hired him because I wanted to sleep with him. I didn't sleep with him until later on. Then I got him. Once I was his boss, I slept. Oh. So you, let me get this straight, Fanny. You gave him the Fanny after you were his boss, right? He's married. He's If, if your story's true, he's a happily married man going about his life, minding his own business. And then suddenly you hire him and you're in a position of authority over him. 
which makes it sexual harassment, which is uh, we've been lectured since 1991 about this. It's about the power discrepancy. The bosses cannot sleep with subordinates. It'd be better if you hired him because you were sleeping with him, right? Then it's just straight up abuse of power. Now it's abuse of power and uh, stealing money and everything. And it's sexual harassment because of the power discrepancy. I'm not really sure you're thinking this through. There's no good answer. But it's very bizarre after decades of lecture going, it's the power discrepancy. It's this, that, and the other. It's totally cool because Fanny didn't start sleeping with him until she had the power to fire him. Did she? Did he sleep with her because Fanny threatened to fire him? Is his marriage over because Fanny sexually harassed him into this? Was he feeling pretty? He could sue the city and probably win a lot of money. But don't worry. The New York Times has a whole big story about how black women are upset that people are pointing these things out because holding black women apparently to the same standards you hold anybody else is the new racism. If that's the new racism, then racism is dead. We're out of problems. Congratulations, America. We've won. Since we're talking about Fanny, I just, I just love the idea. How dare you insult this, this woman by pointing out, what, the truth? Have you noticed how many people have gone on crusades against Donald Trump, accusing him of all sorts of corruption, have come up short on the uh, moral scale themselves? And remember, at the start of COVID, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York. Boy, howdy, he was going to be the hero. He was going to be the anti-Trump. They started calling him that. They carried his press conferences every single day. He was so wonderful. He was a voice of calm and reason compared to Donald Trump. And he would criticize Donald Trump, and they would love it, and they loved him for it. And then it turns out that he was a sexual pervert. When he criticized Donald Trump on everything and like, oh, yeah, no, he's a total serial sexual harasser, grabbing some boobs, kissing people with that. And I go, oh, but 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 we love him. It can't be. Yeah, kind of how it works. Kind of how it works. It's just insane. It's just ridiculous. It's so hypocritical. And so is the the same thing. You can't criticize any black woman. Well, then I'm going to go down the road anyway. I'm going to follow the yellow brick road. to find. Well, you know, the yellow brick road went to the Emerald City. The red brick road, if you start off at the beginning, talked about this before, I think. The start off where Dorothy starts in, the, in Munchkin land, there's a red brick road that goes somewhere. Maybe it probably goes to places where if you are critical of black women, you're suddenly a Klansman. I don't know. I don't care because nobody's above criticism, especially because of their skin color. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, it's not not really criticism as much as just pointing out how she's crazy. She's running for governor out there. She's running again or not governor. She's running for senator to vacate the seat vacated by uh, Dianne Feinstein vacating this mortal coil. And uh Boy, the, the field up there, it's Katie Porter, big, uh, big Democrat, however you want to envision the word big, meaning it's you're right. Big Democrat. She apparently I think she stabbed her husband once with a fork her ex-husband. I guess it's kind of hard to come back from that one. And uh, ultimately, bullet dodged on her husband's part, not just uh, literally. But uh, she's up there. Crazy, but she's she's as crazy as the day is long. 
And uh, she's not going to win. She's not going to come anywhere close to winning. And then you've got Adam Schiff. God, he's Mr. Mackey from South Park, if there ever was a personification. of if, if a cartoon ever came to life, it'd be Mr. Mackey from South Park. Adam Schiff and Steve Garvey, former baseball player, he's running as the only seemingly viable Republican in this race. Nothing against Steve Garvey. Hell of a ball player. Will probably be veterans committed into the Hall of Fame one day. But he's he's up there in age. Right? He's up there in age. He's not super spry on his toes. Let's just put it that way. I'm not sure. Um, let me see how old Steve Garvey is. He's 75 years old. I guess he's a spring chicken compared to what's running for president. But first foray into politics, he seems to be doing okay. Maybe in the primary, all you've got to do is be the top two. And then you get to run in the general, and then it starts over. And then you got to face the reality of the fact that Democrats outnumber Republicans by a factor of like three in California. So good luck to you, Steve Garvey. It could be that you're running. The thing is, the other Democrats that are running are so god-awful that there's an actual chance that a Republican could win. I just hope that Steve Garvey gets a little bit more well-versed on the issues and a little bit more energy in there. But again, he's 75 years old. And then you've got Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, boy, howdy. You sit there and you watch her and you go, wow, this is terrible. And of course, that means you're a racist. She's 77 years old. Katie Porter is the youngest person up there and she's the dumbest. Hmm. But uh, Barbara Lee is up there. She's not particularly bright either. And she is putting forth the idea. Now, you want to talk about buying votes. California just raised its minimum wage $20 for fast food workers. Unions love it. Unions absolutely love it because they want to unionize fast food workers. Right. This is going to cause a whole bunch of fast food workers to lose their jobs and a whole bunch of layoffs in the fast food industry will be like, oh, well, uh, we need to unionize because they're taking advantage of blah, blah. No, they're not. You're pricing your, your government. You're voting for morons who are pricing you out of out of the business. And it's kind of funny because automation exists to really get rid of just about everybody except for a couple of people at a fast food restaurant to feed the machines that will do all the work. Put the ground beef down this chute, put the burgers in this one, put, and that's it. That's all you need. And then soon there'll be machines to do that. So you're not going to need anybody. You got a touch screen and a card swiping machine. You've already eliminated the front counter. A ramp, some gravity, some slot, and a conveyor belt, and you are completely out of the business. And I promise you this those machines will not unionize, and those machines cannot vote. So Democrats are ultimately committing suicide on behalf of other people. They're killing other people. They're killing their jobs, killing entry-level jobs. Fast food jobs are not meant to raise a family on. They are meant as a launching pad, not a landing strip. And if you treat them as such, you have a major problem. So I get a kick out of the people who are like, fight for $15 across the country. We need a $15 minimum wage. And they always bring up somebody. There's one guy who's like, I've worked for McDonald's for 19 years, and I'm still making minimum wage. Well, you're an idiot. No offense. 
I guess maybe it does. I have to say no offense. You wouldn't understand it, but I actually do mean offense. You're an idiot. If that's 19 years and you're still making minimum wage, that's on you. You have no ambition and no talent, but you're good enough. You show up. You do what needs to be done. You're not super exciting. You're, there's, your boss doesn't care if you stay. Your boss doesn't care if you go. Actually, they probably do care if you go. Not enough to pay you more to keep you. But they care if you go because where else are they going to find somebody dumb enough to work for 19 years for the minimum? The minimum. You never even thought to go to a Wendy's and... And when the signs are in the window are going, hey, we'll pay you 12 bucks an hour. We'll pay you 15 $18 an hour to start. You never thought I should do that. Do you think Taco Bell is a bridge too far? I don't know, man. A bun I can handle, a tortilla, whew, and especially a, a hard taco. Lose an eye if that thing shattered. I'm not risking that. We'll wear safety goggles, for God's sakes, and a sign that says I'm a stupid and the arrow pointing up. Because... It's on you. But they always, for some reason, that person elicits sympathy. This is what I mean when I say you never legislate based on the worst case scenario. You can find the worst case scenario anywhere and everywhere. It's not the norm. All right. Every piece of legislation is going to have unintended consequences. People are going to slip through the cracks and, you know, go, oh, no, we must upend everything. They did it with Obamacare. Five percent of the population were chronically uninsured. Or not 5%. It was like 5 to 10 million, maybe 15 million, chronically uninsured. 30 million uninsured. Yeah, most people were uninsured for short periods of time, usually during job switches. It counts. If you have two weeks without insurance, you count it as uninsured. And then they took it from one year to two years and said, 45 million people uninsured over the last two years. They don't explain what that means. I just did. doesn't take much. But, you know, they, if they explain what it means, then they lose the whole gravity, the weight behind it, the urgency. When realistically, if there's 15 million people who are chronically uninsured, meaning uninsured for two years or more, you could address them. Instead, they said, well, here's a piece of legislation that will upend 200 million people. It'll involve 200, it'll impact 200 million people. Everybody not on Medicare, essentially, and Medicaid. Those people, everybody else will be impacted by this. Higher premiums, more mandates, whatever, whatever. Your insurance will go away, et cetera, et cetera. Well, why wouldn't you just, just address the 15 million people who are, because there are people who are uninsured. There are people who are going without treatment. Nobody has to actually go without treatment. Treatment can't be denied in this country. By an ability to pay, you can't do it. We need to do this. We need to well, just address the problem rather than the entirety of the system. No, no, no. Their goal wasn't to help the people. We still have the same number roughly of uninsured. <laughs> they do, the way they calculate it. We have about the same number of uninsured. They didn't really address the problem at all. The point was to get the government more involved. The federal government for the first time now regulates what is mandated in health insurance coverage, what is acceptable health insurance coverage. Why? States were doing that, but it doesn't matter. Now the federal government is doing that. Made health insurance more expensive, caused a lot of people to lose their health. Five million people lost the health insurance they liked that they wanted to keep and the doctor they liked and they wanted to keep. And now they can come back a few years later and say, well, the health insurance problem is a mess. Healthcare, healthcare has, we need government involvement in healthcare. We need a, a public option. We need this. We need, they're inching towards socialized medicine, which... Is a problem. 
Should be a problem forever. It sounds great. Oh, man, everybody gets it for free, but you want to wait? You get a diagnosis of something terrible and you have to wait six months to see somebody about it? Are you going to be cool with that? Especially when the political class will have a separate track to avoid those waits? You cool with that? I don't think you're going to be cool with that. Anyway, you can't govern, you can't legislate based on the worst case scenario. You never should. Democrats don't do that. They're not concerned about the worst case scenario. They exploit the worst case scenario to advance their agenda. Their agenda is essentially destruction. You can't chip away and replace parts of a system that are working. You need the system to collapse so that you can offer the promised land of utopia all at once. Cloward and Piven 101. Plus, you just have a bunch of dumb Democrats, and Barbara Lee is one of them, where in the debate the other day, she promised a $50 minimum wage. A $50 minimum wage, because the cost of living in California is so high, particularly in the San Francisco area. What this doesn't do is address at all the reason the cost of living is so high in California. I'll get into that in a second, but let's let's listen to Congresswoman Barbara Lee talk about the $50 minimum wage. You're calling for a $50 an hour federal minimum wage. That's seven times the current national minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Can you explain how that would be economically sustainable for small businesses? You have 60 seconds. First, let me say I um, owned and ran a small business for um, 11 years. I created hundreds of jobs, benefits, retirement benefits, also health care benefits. I know what worker productivity means, and that means that you have to make sure that your employees are taken care of and have a living wage. In the Bay Area, I, I believe it was the United Way, came out with a report that uh, very recently, $127,000 for a family of four is just barely enough to get by. Another survey very recently, 104000 for a family of one, barely enough to get by low income because of the affordability crisis. And so just do the math. Just do the math. Of course we have national uh, minimum wages that we need to raise to a living wage. You're talking about $20, $25, fine. But I have got to be focused on what California needs and what the affordability factor is when we calculate this wage. Yeah, we got to worry about the affordability factor. We got to worry about the affordability. Well, part of the affordability factor is all the restrictions in California against building. Good luck building anything. Doesn't matter if you own the property, how long you've owned the property, it doesn't matter. You want to put in a pool in your own backyard. You want to basically dig a garden in your own backyard. You have to do an environmental impact study, at least one, depending on the municipality, even more than one. And if they find some sort of slug that is on the threatened list, forget it. You're not able to even take a spoonful of dirt out. You're just not allowed to. It's an outrage. It's disturbing. It's this, that, and the other. It's garbage. It's a bunch of crap. You also can't build new houses very effectively, very easily because of the environmental impact and so-called smart growth. Smart growth is designed by liberals. They say, well, it's, it's to lessen the environmental impact on certain things and blah, 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 blah. It's ultimately what's happening in everywhere across the country, the high-density housing. It's, part of, it's called smart, smart growth is racist. Let's huddle together the poor 
Let's huddle together the minorities. We'll keep them in townhouses, row houses. We'll keep them all together. And it'll be okay in apartment, apartment buildings. That's what it is. Make housing, individual freestanding housing, nearly unaffordable for anybody. But everybody else, can we put them in these high-density, low-income housing things? Very Soviet, but with a balcony. So you've got that going for you. Can't even build those in California with ease. So you have a housing shortage, and they won't mitigate the housing shortage. So guess what that does? When you limit supply and demand increases, prices go up. This is how it works, and it becomes unaffordable to live in certain areas, like San Francisco. So the idea that you have to go, well, then we have to pay a burger flipper $50 is absurd. It's a, pro- what you, it's a problem you've created. What you need to do is stop creating the problem. It's like the school-to-prison pipeline. Thing. Oh, we want school-to-prison pipeline. So we got to shut down the prisons because of the school-to-prison pipeline. Well, how about we shut down the schools that are feeding the, this so-called pipeline, all right? If the only prospect of you coming out of a school is to go to prison, that school sucks, right? Well, more teachers' union members give to Democrats than prison guard union members. So you got to have to deal with these sorts of things. you got to have priorities in life. Okay, you do have to have priorities in life. And it's clear what Democrats' priorities are. You want to replace everybody in the fast food industry with a machine, go ahead and make it a $50 an hour job. It's not worth it. If you can be replaced by a credit card stripe reader, and a touch screen, you aren't worth $10 an hour, let alone $20 or $50 an hour. You then have just created an entire next generation of kids who will never get their first jobs. Or they'll wait longer to get their first jobs, which means they won't really have an, an income stream. Now, either parents have to make that up, which many of them won't be able to. Many of those parents to make 50 bucks an hour. But they manage to get by. But they're not going to be able to make up the stream, give their kids money so they can go. And guess what? So that means that kids are going to start some sort of side hustle. Maybe they can monetize their social media accounts. Maybe not. Probably not. Maybe some of the young girls will show some skin. Democrats seem to like that. They will uh, just start an OnlyFans thing. And hey, who are we to judge? But many other people will simply revert to a life of crime. It's much easier, especially in California, when you can pretty much be guaranteed that if you go out and steal $700 worth of stuff, the store employees have been instructed not to stop you, and the prosecutors have pledged not to prosecute you. Why wouldn't you do it? Once you get past the moral ambiguity or the moral problems with thievery, there's literally nothing standing in your way. So you go and you steal $700 worth of stuff. You sell it on eBay for $500, a pretty good discount on those things or whatever. You got some sleazy mafia guy, some sort of whatever. Somebody's going to be there ready to buy this stuff and move this hot merchandise and they'll give you 50 cents on the dollar, whatever it is. You've now got money. You got money scot-free. You didn't even have to show up, punch a clock for it. You might have to punch a clerk for it, but you didn't have to punch a clock for it. Then you just lather, rinse, repeat. It keeps on going. And then we'll go, well, why is uh, youth crime going through? Why is retail theft so high? Well, how many jobs are out there? 
for entry-level teenagers to learn the concept of work. They're not learning the concept of work anymore. They're learning the concept of, if you want it, go take it. So far, no one has been shot and killed over this. But sooner or later, they're going to rob the wrong jewelry store. They're going to try to rob the wrong liquor store, and somebody's going to get killed. And there won't be a whole lot of sympathy for that person, and the politicians will all feign outrage. Oh, it's just a 16-year-old kid starting out in life. There was an illegal gun or whatever. It's just wrong that they need to do this. They need more restrictions on people. They won't ever look at the destruction in their wake. They drive cars without side or rearview mirrors. It's all straightforward, and they're moving toward Agenda Island. And if there's a string of bodies in their wake, they ultimately don't care. They're going to get there come hell or high water. It's disturbing and it's disgusting. As I say, again, the theme of today's show, they're evil. They're not stupid. None of this is by accident. And you can just take the amount they profess to care and make it the opposite, right? The louder they profess to care, the less they actually do. It's weird how that works. It's inversely proportional to the fit they throw couple last things I want to get to before we run out of time. The city of Chicago, they use this program, this, uh, this company. It has a program called uh, ShotSpotter. ShotSpotter works on acoustics. If there's gunplay someplace in Chicago, there are surveillance cameras all over the place and, everything, and listening devices picking up just this sort of thing, gunplay. Then they can dispatch. A lot of people don't call the police in Chicago. A lot of people don't call police in Democrat-controlled cities, A, because one, it'll get them killed, and B, two, C, whatever. It can, uh, there's no point. A lot of times they don't show up, or they show up so damn late it doesn't matter. So it's not worth risking 1.1 for uh, 0.2's response. But they use ShotSpotter so they can have an idea to at least where to start maybe looking for some blood, some bodies, whatever. But somehow, leftists, leftist activists, it's always leftist activists, have decided that this is racist, racially insensitive. So they're getting rid of it. Here's a news report on what's going on in Chicago. The campaign promise fulfilled. Mayor Brandon Johnson, the city's use of the controversial gunfire surveillance system known as ShotSpotter. The city's contract with the company behind ShotSpotter expires on Friday, and the police will stop using the technology September 22nd, about a month after the Democratic National Convention. A city statement said, Moving forward, Chicago will deploy its resources on the most effective strategies and tactics proven to accelerate the current downward trend in violent crime. Now, I love that. They're going to end their contract now. They're going to stop using it about a month after the Democratic National Convention in Chicago this year. Why? If it's racist, why don't you stop using it immediately? Well, because during the convention, they want to try and keep people safe. After that, I mean... People from not in, not in Chicago will be coming to Chicago for the convention. Democrats, national Democrats. Mayor Brandon Johnson cares about them. People from Chicago he doesn't give a damn about. Here's a story from The Guardian. Chicago will not renew its shot spotter contract and plans to stop using the controversial gunshot detection system later this year. 
Mayor Brandon Johnson's office announced on Tuesday the system, which relies on an artificial intelligence algorithm and network of microphones to identify gunshots, has been criticized for racial bias and law enforcement misuse. An Associated Press investigation of the technology detailed how police and prosecutors used shot spotter data as evidence in charging a Chicago grandfather with murder before a judge dismissed the case due to insufficient evidence. So what? That's what that's the legal system. <laughs> they use this and they charge somebody without. Does that mean the, the guy didn't do it? No. The judge said that there's not insufficient evidence. OK. Chicago's contract with Sound Thinking, a public safety technology company, says its shot spotter tool is used in roughly 150 cities. Expires on Friday. The city plans to wind down use of shot spotter technology by late September after the DNC. But the subheadline of this story says the headline is Chicago scraps gunshot detection system accused of racial bias. How is it accused of racial bias? Well, Community groups, meaning left-wing activists, community groups say shot spotter systems sends police into black and Latino neighborhoods for unnecessary and hostile encounters. You mean the system detects gunplay in black and Hispanic neighborhoods and the police go in there. The only reason it would ever possibly be considered unnecessary if there's gunplay is you just don't want I minute. Mean, look, it's gunplay. It's our gunplay. We're taking care of our own business. Little ethnic enclaves are not independent nation states. They are part of the United States. As much as the Democrats would like them not to be, they in fact are parts of the United States and they need to be policed. It is ridiculous. The other day, I got to try and find this thing for a future show. Ben Crump, the race hustling lawyer who is always there. Anybody's he doesn't care. Anybody's a victim of, of anything. You try and shoot a cop. Ben Crump is nowhere to be found. You try and shoot a cop and a cop shoots you back. Then Ben Crump is there going, this is unjustified and immoral. And I want a third. But uh, he was shooting pool with the Reverend Al and a whole bunch of other race hustlers. And he said, you know, a lot of the laws, if we can get rid of crime tomorrow, if we just change the laws, you can tell a lot about a nation's priorities and who they don't like by what they criminalize. So, okay, I suppose theoretically, if you want Chicago to appear to be some sort of utopic messianic land, all you've got to do is make Black people killing black people, perfectly legal. And suddenly, Chicago will be one of the least crime-ridden cities in the country. Same with Baltimore, same with Detroit, same with Philadelphia, same with St. Louis, same with well, pretty much everywhere Democrats have control generationally. It's weird how there's one common denominator where all of these killing fields exist. And it ain't evil, whitey Republican control, ever. All right, that is enough for today, enough for this week. Well, actually, it's not enough for this week because tonight at midnight, the week in and Review will be up. We'll have the Fannie Willis audio, I'm sure. Can't vouch for that, but my God, what an absolute fecal show. That'll be fun. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.Locals.com. Check it out. Don't be the only one in your neighborhood not listening. What's the matter with you? Anyway, thanks for listening. See you tonight.